Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the Shakespearean student. Well, um, all through the month of September, I've been um, covering Hamlet on the website, and I, also through my out-school classes. I've actually been uh, working with a young actor who is doing um, both of this two to solid flesh as an audition piece. And this got me thinking. There's an episode of one of my favorite TV shows called Slings and Arrows, where it's about the uh, the lives and the uh, hard work of a uh, theater company loosely based on the Stratford Festival in uh, Stratford, Ontario. And there's this one scene near the end of season one where a young actor playing Hamlet is frustrated and um, overwhelmed by the part. And the director says, I want you to think of this play in terms of six soliloquies. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh. Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. To be or not to be. Now may I do it, Pat. Tis now the very witching time of night. I did this out of sequence, but they're in the same act. And how all occasions do inform against me. And then the rest is silence. Now, I'm not sure if this is... Uh, entirely true, but I suppose from a practical standpoint, if you're an actor playing the part, you know that the audience is waiting for those soliloquies, in particular, to be or not to be. So I thought I would talk about Hamlet's journey through these six soliloquies and give a close reading of at least three of the big ones. So let's start with Oh, that this too, too solid flesh. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the Shakespearean student. Well, um, all through the month of September, I've been um, covering Hamlet on the website, and I've also through my out-school classes, I've actually been uh, working with a young actor who is doing um, both of this two, two solid flesh as an audition piece. And this got me thinking. There's an episode of one of my favorite TV shows called Slings and Arrows, where it's about the uh, the lives and the uh, hard work of a uh, theater company loosely based on the Stratford Festival in uh, Stratford, Ontario. And there's this one scene near the end of season one where a young actor playing Hamlet is frustrated and um, overwhelmed by the part. And the director says, I want you to think of this play in terms of six soliloquies. Oh, that this too, too solid.
absolve itself to a Jew. Or that the Everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. God. God. How weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to be all the uses of this world. is an unweeded garden the most seed things rank and gross in nature possess it merely that it should come to this but two months dead nay not so much not two this excellent king that was to this hyperion to a satyr so loving to my mother that he might not fatigue the winds of heaven visit her face too roughly heaven and earth why, she would hang on him as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on, and yet within a month. Thank God. Frailty, that name is woman. A little month. Or ere those shoes were old, with which she followed my poor father's body like Niobe, all tears. Why, she, even she, oh God! beast that wants discourse of reason would have mourned longer. Married with my uncle. My father's brother, but more like my father than I to Hercules. Within a month, ere yet the salt of more most unrighteous tears had left the flaw flushing in her galled eyes, she married The everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh, God, God! How weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to be all the uses of this world. Wild, ah, fight is an unweeded garden. The most seed things rank and gross in nature possess it merely that it should come to this, but two months dead. Nay, not so much, not two. This excellent king that was to this Hyperion to a satyr. So loving to my mother that he might not fatigue the winds of heaven, visit her face too roughly. Heaven and earth must be remembered. Why, she would hang on him as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on, and yet within a month, Frailty, that name is woman. A little month. Or ere those shoes were old, with which she followed my poor father's body, like Niobe, all tears. Why, she, even she, oh, God. A beast that wants discourse of reason would have mourned longer. father's brother, but 
more like my father than I to Hercules. Within a month, ere yet the salt of more most unrighteous tears had left the flaw flushing in her galled eyes, she married almost with speed to Faust, with such dexterity to incestuous sheets. It is not, nor it cannot come to good. Break my heart, for I must hold my tongue. I'm going to focus on a different thing. Uh, one could talk endlessly about these soliloquies, but I'm going to focus on a different aspect of each one of them. For this one, I've chosen the verse, because it normally when you're doing a standard uh, Shakespearean speech, it's in this very regular iambic pentameter, da-dum, 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 and the prevailing wisdom is hit the last beat, breathe at the ends of lines, and... Um, and because at the ends of lines, that's usually when the ideas end. Not so with Hamlet. Hamlet is very emotional, and he's a very quick and long-winded thinker. Um, some people think in uh, standard characters in Shakespeare think in um, in uh, in a line. Hamlet thinks in paragraphs, um, and so. I've noticed that a lot of great actors choose to run on the ends of the lines. Regular, uh, if you've been reading my posts this month, you know that I'm a big fan of Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. And he certainly does this. He goes after the sense of the lines and does not breathe at the ends of lines. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, <gasps> thaw, and resolve itself into a Jew. He doesn't do it that way. He does it, oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a Jew. He runs those two lines together because it's nonsensical without it. Now, if I were to do it as if I were supposed to breathe at the end of the lines, it would look like this. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a Jew. Or that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter, oh God, God. So you can see that the ideas have to run together. You can take micro-pauses but you have to connect the ideas in your thoughts and in your delivery. It's um, the speech often ends on an idea like thawing into a Jew. Um, the, um, uh, the pause before uh, tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed things rank and gross in nature. Almost like Hamlet is stopping in the middle of the line, trying to conceal the disgusting thoughts he has. And the verse emphasizes this. Basically, the verse makes it clear that Hamlet feels very out of sorts. As I often say, verse is the heartbeat of a character, and Hamlet's heart is breaking. He can't his ideas and his emotions can't be contained in nice, clean, regular verse lines. So, all that this too-too solid flesh would melt occurs in Hamlet's first scene, Act 1, Scene 2. His next soliloquy is in Act 2, Scene 2, the longest speech in the play. Uh, 
I'm sorry, the longest scene in the play. Um, not quite the longest speech. Force his soul so to his whole conceit that from her verb, that from her uh, virtue, all his visage tears in his eyes, distraction in his aspect, a broken voice, and his whole function suiting with forms to his conceit, and all for nothing. He should weep for her. What would he do had he the motive and the cue for passion that I have? He would drown the stage with tears and cleave the general ear with horrid speech, make mad the guilty and appall the flea, confound the ignorant and amaze indeed the very faculties of eyes and ears. But I, a dull and muddy metal grass for feet, like John of Dreams, unpregnant of my cause and can't say nothing. Damned defeat was made. Am I a coward? Who calls me Billy? Breaks my pate across. Plucks off my beard and blows it in my face. Tweaks me by the nose, gives me the lie in the throat, as deep as the lungs. Who does me this? Ha! Wounds that I should take it! But, but that I am pigeon livered and like gall enough to make oppression better. Or ere this, I should have fatted all the region kites with this slave's awful, bloody, bawdy villain, remorseless, treacherous, lecherous kind of villain. Vengeance! Why, what an ass am I. This is most brave that I, the son of a dear father, murdered. Prompted to my revenge, my heaven and hell must, like a whore, unpack my heart with words and fall to cursing like a very drab, a skunk. Fine, pardon. About my brain, I have heard that guilty creatures seated in a play have by the very cunning of the scene been struck so to the soul that presently they have proclaimed their malefactions. For murder, though it has no tongue, will speak with most miraculous organ. I'll have these players play something like the murder of my father before mine uncle. I'll observe his looks. Uh, I'll tempt him to the quick. If he but blench, I know my course. The spirit that I've seen may be the devil, and the devil hath power to assume a pleasing shape, yea, and out of my weakness and my melancholy, as he is very potent with such spirits, abuses me to damn me. I'll have grounds more relative than this. The play's the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. This speech is possibly Hamlet's high point emotionally of the play. It's it's very hard to do because he's just been around for for an entire scene where he's had to play various parts, the gracious hosts to the players. Um, he has to play mad for Polonius and uh, um, and the court. When he's alone, he rants and raves about um, how 
even though he's set up this antic disposition to conceal his tracks, he hasn't made any progress trying to kill Claudius or um, to uncover whether Claudius is guilty or not. So you see that emotional struggle. And I would argue that the actor needs to find a balance between the cunning measured Hamlet, the one who's making these plans, and the emotional Hamlet, the young man who is trying to figure things out. That's why I varied my delivery. I thought about my frustration. I thought about how I admire somebody who can put so much heart and effort into something that is pointless. Hecuba, if you don't know, is a character from ancient Greek mythology. She was the queen of Troy, a story that most people don't even know. And yet, this actor that, that Hamlet just watched gave a speech about Hecuba, and he was so consumed with his performance that he actually cried. Real tears. And Hamlet is disgusted with himself that he has such true, such skill in um, in this in playing, and he has no skill in acting. And I use the pun deliberately there because Hamlet is a very gifted player, but arguably not a very good actor in terms of avenging. The speech depends on the actor uh, playing Hamlet feeling the frustration, getting it, it uh, uh, sitting in it for a little while, and then getting over it and finding the excitement when he realizes the plot. He's going to put on a play, just like he just saw. It moved him. It will move Claudius, especially if I do play the circumstances of my father's death. So there has to be an uptick of excitement near the end. But uh, strangely, Hamlet is thwarted again in the very next soliloquy, 